You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Do you like that new song? Yeah. That was a tough one. The worship team did a really good job leading us in that. Uh, and I asked them to learn that because we're in this middle of a new series that Chad started. What's that? Three years Yeah, I did ask. I asked them three years ago to learn that song, and uh, it took them three years. But better late than never. Better late than never. We're, uh, we're doing this series called Renewed People, New City. Renewed People, New City. And the idea is that we have to understand where we're going with God in order to live faithfully for God here. We have to get a picture of there in order to be present as gospel witnesses here. So last week, Chad talked about being a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to move from here to there. We're actually going to look at the very end of the Bible, um, at what the Bible calls the new age or the afterlife. Uh, or we refer to our culture, we call it heaven, but heaven isn't quite specific enough. Actually, in heaven, um, what we refer to as heaven is a new city, which is where we get the name of our church, New City Fellowship. And we're going to be looking at that um, over the next couple weeks in order that we might find hope and stir up longing of of where we're going, that, that we might be able to live in this moment with an eye on our future. Um, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. It says, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. And that's kind of the theme verse for us. And that doesn't mean that we don't live present here. We live here. But as we live here as faithful gospel witnesses, life is going to be challenging and things are going to fall apart and you're going to encounter pain and suffering and trial, right? Everybody's had that in their life. So what do we do? Do we just grit and bear it? Or do we look ahead with hope to something else? And the Bible says we seek the city that is to come. As we look at this city in the book of Revelation, it is um, that John gives us this vision. He has a vision of this city, and and we kind of get the sense that he doesn't quite know how to describe it as we go through it. Um, But he he tries his best to describe it for us. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to start by just telling you a little bit about how my family handles travel plans. In my family, I like to do the planning for traveling. Like if we're going to book a flight or we're going to book a hotel, I like to do it. Because I think I'm kind of good at it. Like I think I'm kind of good at it. And, um, and I like if I can beat the man, whoever the man is, I like to do that. So I go to these websites like Kayak, you know, kayak.com where you can get a flight. And I look at what the price is, and I automatically assume, like, that's not the best deal out there. I can, I can go fish around, and I'm going to find my own way of booking the flights I need in order to get a better deal than Kayak can offer me. And here's what I do. I, I go to Wikipedia. It's kind of a process. There's no, there's no notes for this, but if you want to take this down, um, I go to Wikipedia to, at the airport in the city I'm flying to. And I look at all the flight or all the airlines that fly directly to that city. And if I'm doing a two-leg journey, well, I say, well, what's the cheapest flight out of there? And where does that go? And let me find a flight from Fort Lauderdale that can meet the connection. 
So recently, I'm going, recently I found out I'm going to a conference in Huntsville. And I found out Huntsville is the, one of the most expensive airports to fly into in the United States. So I get on kayak, and I look, and yeah, it was super expensive to fly from Fort Lauderdale to, to Huntsville. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to beat the man. So I do my research. I figure out that Huntsville, there's a really cheap direct flight from Huntsville to Orlando on one airline. And then on another airline, I can get from Orlando back to Fort Lauderdale. So I booked these flights and saved literally hundreds of dollars, pat myself on the back, I did it. Flights are all about the numbers, right? Like you're looking for the cheapest deal that doesn't have too long of a layover. It's all about beating the system with the numbers. But when you book a hotel, it's very different. The numbers matter, but they don't matter as much. When you get online at hotels.com, you're looking at that number but you're also looking at these pictures. The pictures that that hotel has shown you of the place that you're going to stay. And you begin to imagine yourself there, right? You see the rooms and they look so comfortable. And then you can imagine yourself experiencing the Lipton plunge on that bed. And you see the pool and you can imagine yourself swimming there and, and the breakfast bar. And as you're flipping through these pictures on hotels.com, you're sucked in because of the pictures and your imagination to be able to experience what you think it's going to be like. And it stirs up hope in you. You call your friend and you're like, hey, I got us a deal on this really cool hotel. It's awesome. The pool's amazing. They've got a full breakfast. There's free Wi-Fi. All because you've seen these pictures. It draws you in. It stirs up your longing. It produces hope in you. And if you book this hotel, and you have those pictures in your mind, you hold that out, you'll hold out with hope of where you're going, because you've seen it. You've got a picture of it. And even if you're tired of your job, you're still able to put the hours in, you're still able to work, you're still able to earn the money that you need to pay for that hotel, because you've gotten a picture of it, because you've seen it, and you've imagined yourself there. This passage is really about that. It's about God giving us a picture of where we're going in order that it might stir up hope and longing in us. Is anybody worn and weary as they walk the Christian life? Are you tired? Get one hand. I don't believe the rest of you. Everybody be raising their hand. It is hard to walk the Christian life and you get tired and as you persevere, sometimes you lose hope. But God gives us this passage at the end of the Bible to give us a clear picture of where we're going so that we might renew our hope. We might be a renewed people as we see the new city. We might live here in light of there. We might be faithful witnesses even though we're spiritually dry and psychologically tired. God wants to encourage the real you in the deepest part of you of where you're going. He wants you to to think about life and how broken it is, and yet in that, have your longings stirred up for this heavenly new city. I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to read you Revelation 21. Father God, we do pray that you would give us hope, and you would stir up longing in us as we look towards the end of the scriptures and at this vision that John saw. We pray that you really would help us to grasp on to where you're taking us, and that we might be able to live here 
in light of there. Amen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud, a loud voice from the throne, Look, God is dwelling with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, that's John, then he said to John, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, they share, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had tried, who had held, sorry, who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the high gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city gates, the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its lengths and widths are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits according to the human measurement which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire. Give me a break on these ones, I'm gonna try. The third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysophrase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it 
because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. The Word of God. Can you get a picture of everything that we just talked about in your mind? It's kind of overwhelming, and you just kind of get images. You can't really take it all in at once. But can you picture yourself there? Can you think about experiencing this new heavenly city? I mean, we learned several things about it. First of all, it's a massive city. The measurements that are given are, are roughly 14, uh, 1,400 square miles. So it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 by 1,400, wall to wall to wall. That means from here to New York City, to Minneapolis, to Houston, back to here, still isn't big enough to measure the walls of the city. It's, it's a massive city. And even though those walls go 1,400 miles long, they're also 1,400 miles high. So the image you get is of a very tall city with 200-foot walls. This is a massive city, and it's incredibly secure and mighty. Angels are guarding each of the entrances. So you have this impenetrable wall guarded by these angels. It's a massive city and a mighty city with no vulnerabilities. There's no weak points. There's no secret ways in. But it's also a majestic city. Jasper, gold, sapphire, and pearls. A public square that's made of pure gold transparent as glass. This city is meant to blow you away. And you're meant to go, I'm not sure I can quite picture it. And you shouldn't be able to because you've not experienced anything like it in this life. This city is a class of its own. It has no rating system on Hotels.com because you would not be able to rate, rate this. And it's meant to overwhelm you. I know that you have questions, right? You're like, what's it like inside? What's my room like? Will there be free Wi-Fi? You're meant to just go, this is overwhelming. Everything's going to be taken care of because of the massive size of this city and the mightiness of this city and the majesty of this city. And the reason it's such an impressive new city is because it's not an earthly city. It's a heavenly city that comes to earth. It's a heavenly city that comes to earth. In verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Say heaven. This city represents a rejoining of the heavenly realm with the earthly realm. The reason that our world is broken is because earth was never meant to be separated from heaven. But earth is separated from heaven. This earth is not the way it's supposed to be. But when God created the world in Eden, Eden was heaven and earth joined together. It was God's dwelling place, but it was also man's dwelling place together. And there was no enmity between God and man. But when we lost the garden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, we also lost heaven. And we lost God as well. 
We went from intimacy with him in the, in the heavenly earth to separated from him and under his judgment. God separated from us in heaven and us stuck on a broken earth. That's why you long for something more than this earth can provide for you. No matter what you experience in this world, you always want something more. You, you're never able to be satisfied. That's why people who make it with fame, they get to that point where their careers are on a high and they go, this is it? I've reached the pinnacle of my existence on earth and it doesn't satisfy my own heart? It's because they were made for more. And you're made for more. C.S. Lewis says this, if I find myself if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You long for more because you were made for more. You were not made, you were not designed, you were not created to live on earth separated from heaven. You were created to live on earth that was joined with heaven. And that's why nothing in this world can meet your longings. You're actually longing for heaven. But the good news is that when the new city comes down is the moment when heaven and earth are joined together. You have a new city that you live in. And as heaven and earth is joined together, so you will be rejoined with God. Humanity's broken relationship with God is finally fixed. God and humanity are rejoined. In verse 3 and 4, John says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In this paradise where earth and heaven are rejoined, Man and God are rejoined, and we are restored to him. The work of Jesus comes to its full expression, and we live face to face before our creator. And it says that everything we experienced while heaven was, accept, was separated from earth, everything we experienced in this sinful, broken world, everything that brought tears to our eyes will be wiped away, and will be comforted, and will be healed. Every person, every eye, every tear before the face of God. It makes me think of my own tears. It makes me think of your tears. But the first person that came to mind was my friend Justin and his tears. Justin is from eastern Congo. He's part of a tribe called the Banya Malenge. And he was living in eastern Congo when the Tutsi and Hutu were at each other, killing one another in one of the bloodiest battles over a decade where people were murdering one another and then retaliating. And Justin was just a boy during that time. Justin was living in his village and he woke up one morning to the sound of gunfire about 5 a.m. and his father screaming, children, run, children, they're here. One of their enemy tribes had come to wipe them out. And Justin, who was just a teenager, woke up and there with his family gathered in their hut, not knowing what to do. They couldn't run outside because the machine guns were shooting bullets through their village, but they had to because the men that came to invade were burning down all the huts. 
So they had to make a decision. Do we stay and die in our hut through fire, or do we run and risk getting shot? They made the decision to run. And it just so happened that they were able to escape, and they were able to make it to a tree line, and they were able to hide in this dense bush, Justin and some of his cousins. And they just sat there under the bush, not being able to say a word, just children watching men kill their family and friends. Nothing they can do. Outnumbered, outgunned, they just hid in the bushes. I can see Justin's face at that moment. I can see his face looking in the early morning out of that bush towards his village, watching the destruction and chaos unfold and not being able to do a thing. His cousin said, I'm going to go and check. I'm going to go see. And he said, no, please don't go. I think the men are still there. The gunshots have died down, but please stay in the bush with me. I think you will be killed. Justin's cousin went anyway, and as soon as he stepped out of the bush, was shot and was killed and fell over. Feet from Justin, but Justin could not say a word, or he too himself would be killed. I picture Justin in that moment. I picture his eyes full of tears because there was nothing else he couldn't do. He could do. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't yell. He couldn't fight. All he could do was take in this atrocity of an event that was happening. And sometimes I wonder, what if I was able to go back and I was able to stop time and I was able to just go up to Justin as he's hiding in that bush? What would I say to my friend? It's okay? It's going to be okay? That wouldn't work. What, what, what could I say? And the truth is there isn't anything that I could present to him that would comfort him in that moment. There isn't anything that I could say to him that would heal the thing that he had just seen. But one day, one day in the new city, Justin will come face to face with his creator. And when he looks into his creator's face and God, our heavenly father, looks into the eyes of Justin, God will wipe every tear from Justin's eyes. And in that moment, as Justin is, is restored to the God of the universe, he will experience a healing that he did not know was possible. He will experience an inner peace that he could never have imagined when he comes face to face with God in that heavenly city. And you will too. Every person, every eye, every tear. You will experience a healing that you did not know was possible. You will experience an internal peace when you come face to face with the God of the universe that you could not have imagined. Every tear will be wiped from your eye in his presence. The tears of tragedy and trials in this life, the tears of being a broken person who lives in a broken world, tears of having to bury someone way too soon, the tears of being lonely and having relational longing, the struggles that come from having an addiction and waking up every morning going, I've got to fight this another day, the tears from the shame of your past, the tears of the hurt that have been caused to you and the hurt that you have caused to others. Every tear will be wiped away. 
because everything that causes tears will be banished. Everything that causes tears will be banished. In verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The previous things have passed away. And what John is seeing and what he's hearing is that the way this world is, full of sin and brokenness, is now passing away. We will still have this earth and we will still have each other if we know Jesus Christ, but we will be absent of sin. The curse of sin will no longer reign over God's creation. If you think of sin, it is like rust. Rust comes in and it corrodes and you, everything is recognizable, but it's not the way it was supposed to be. Those tires on your car, they're supposed to be shiny and metallic, but they've gotten irony and they're chipping away. And that is what this world is like. It's recognizable, but because of sin, it is corroding and needs to be restored. Well, the curse of sin will be reversed. Some have said it's the closing off of history stained by sin. And what that means is if the old things are passing away, we will have things the way that God created them to be. We will have relationships no longer with the corrosive power of insecurity, jealousy, bitterness, and hatred. We will have work and we will have purpose, but it won't be eaten away by frustration and unfulfillment. Life will work the way it's supposed to. Life will work the way it's supposed to because as things pass away, the new creation breaks in. In the new city, there is a new creation. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And that doesn't mean he's destroying everything and starting over, but that he's coming into broken things and renewing them and making them brand new. Just like when Jesus entered in and he went to the cross on our behalf, but he died and went to the tomb. But the new life of the new creation broke forth when Jesus was resurrected in, from the dead. And he broke out of that tomb. And the power of heaven broke through on our earth. Jesus came back to life. And we now take part in that new life. One day, the new creation will be all there is. All things will be renewed. All things made As people who are called to have our eye on this new creation and a new relationship with God in a new city, we're also called to act today as citizens of that city. The new creation is actually already happening in you if you know Jesus Christ. It's already working itself out in you. You've been made new like Christ, and even though outwardly you're wasting away, inwardly you're being renewed day by day into the image of Christ. And what that means is when people say to you, if God is good, why doesn't he do something? You can say, one day he will. One day he will make all things new. But that also means that right now, 
As a member of the new creation, you're called to act in this broken world. When you see people without love, as a member of the new creation, you're called to love them. When you see oppression, you're called to bring the justice of the kingdom. When you see war, you're called to bring the peace of Christ. When you see brokenness, you're called to bring gospel healing. See, as you understand where you're going, it helps you live here and now. One day, all there will be is new creation in the new city. But now we live in this broken world where we have to live out our eyes on that city, but living in our broken city. God will do something. One day, he will banish all brokenness. And that is an incredibly encouraging word. It fills us with hope and longing. But it's also a warning. It's a warning that God will banish all broken things. It's a warning of judgment. Because God will let no broken things from earth into his heavenly city. In verse 8 it says this, But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now we read some of that and we go, okay, good, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a sorcerer, I don't have a funny hat on, you know, but that's not really what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the things that are normal on earth, like things that you and I think are normal, like idolatry like forming our lives around anything but God. That's what idolatry is. It's worshiping anything besides God. And you and I are pretty good at that. You and I are pretty good at forming our lives around me and my comfort and my desires and my power and my pleasure. That's how we live. But God will not allow any idolatry into the new city, nor will he allow faithlessness. And this is where we really understand where he's going because faithlessness means not having faith in his son Jesus. It means not having faith in his son Jesus. And what we begin to find out as we really examine this list, it's not just keeping really bad people out. It's saying that we need complete forgiveness in order to get in. We need forgiveness to get in. And let me tell you, I believe in the new city. I believe it's a reality. And I also believe the scripture clearly teaches that hell is also reality. It is a reality. And I was talking to a friend about this a couple years ago, and he was not a Christian, and we were talking, and, and we were kind of building a relationship and just getting to know each other, and finally he said, do you believe in hell? And I was like, oh man, he's like trying to peg me here. That's like some crazy wacko. And I said, yeah, I do believe in hell, but I don't know of a better story. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know of a better story because God promises he's that he's going to come back and fix all things and banish all things that do not want to be fixed. And the longing that you and I have for total global healing is coming. But you have to decide if you're going to be part of that. If you can top that story, I'll, I'll reconsider my position on hell. Because hell is banishing all that does not want to be part of the new city. See, that's the weird thing about, I think as we even think about judgment, and we think about God being a judge, no one likes that. We just want God to be loving, but he is a judge. 
And you really can't have it both ways. If you say, God, I want you to come back and fix things, you can't also say, God, I don't like how you're going to fix things. If you say, God, come back and banish all evil, you can't say, God, well, don't banish me because I am evil. You can't, you can't have it both ways. Either God is going to come back and fix all things and judge the earth, or he's not. But he is. He is going to come back. And as many views as there are of the afterlife, I think Christianity actually is the fairest view. Here's why. Whatever you choose in this life, you get in the next. If you say, I am a broken person and I desperately need God's grace and I need Jesus to forgive me of all my sin and all my idolatry and all those things and I want to be with God, you get God for eternity. But for someone who says, I want to be my own king, I want to run my own life, I don't want to walk with God, you get separation from God for eternity. In one sense, it's the fairest presentation of the afterlife out there. So I'd encourage you to consider, where are you as you think about this new city? What you choose now, you get forever. But I do hope that you have chosen to give your life to Christ and to be made a new creation and have a new relationship with God and be part of the new city. Because that's what God really wants for you. God wants you to be forgiven. Throughout this passage, it never really mentions the name Jesus. It constantly refers to him as the lamb. Over and over and over. In verse 22 through 27 especially, it says, I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God Almighty and the lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Say Lamb for me. Lamb is a way of talking about Jesus who sacrificed himself as a sacrificial lamb to atone for our sins. And what John wants us to see is that the center of this city is Jesus, the one who has given his life for you so that you get to be part of the new city and you have a new relationship with God and you get to be made a new creation. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, was put on the cross for you. He was killed and crucified and put in a tomb in order that the wrath of God might be removed from you and put on him instead so that you could become a new creation when you believe in him and so that you could have a new relationship with God and so that you could live for eternity in this new city. I don't know if you've ever had your reservations lost at a hotel, but that will not happen in the new city. If you know Jesus Christ, your name is written down physically in something called the Lamb's Book of Life. And I like to picture Jesus guarding this book. No one's going to erase my name from that book if Jesus wrote it in there. Jesus has died for me, and my name is in his book, not because of anything I've done, not because I'm a good person, but because he died for me as the Lamb. And I hope that your name is in there as well. 
The amazing thing about entrance into the city is it costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. And yet he gives his entrance to you freely. In verse 6 and 7, it says, I will give freely to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Anybody thirsty, spiritually thirsty as you're walking through this life? The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Jared Wilson puts it this way. We sinners are brought into a life we did not make. We receive blessings we do not deserve. We enjoy riches we did not earn, and we are welcomed into an everlasting city that we did not build. That is good news. And if you know Jesus Christ, that is your reality, and that is your story. And as you get a picture of that, that is your destiny. As you get a picture of that, it helps you to be a faithful witness for Christ right here and right now. John encourages us when he writes, the one who conquers will inherit these things. Don't be conquered by this life. Don't walk away from Jesus when it gets hard. Be a faithful witness to him because you will inherit these things that he has died for, for you. I encourage you to remember this picture of a new creation, a new relationship with God in a new city, and allow that to stir up deep love for you and real hope and when you experience the brokenness of this world, which you will experience this week, remind yourself that this is not the city you're going to live in for eternity. Remember to live here in light of there. Keep that picture in your mind because God actually wants you to have that picture in order to stir up your deepest longings and give you unwavering hope as you live with him for eternity in the new city. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your purposes are unstoppable. We thank you that the worst sinner is welcome to grab a hold of the cross. And the most self-righteous person, the person who's the best citizen, still has to kneel before you and claim your blood. And we thank you that people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be welcomed into this everlasting city to live with you, our everlasting God. We pray that you would give us much hope as we look at this city, not just this week, but in the, in the weeks to come, and that you might help us be better citizens in Hollywood and Hallandale and in South Florida as we look to our citizenship in that heavenly city. Would you stand with us and sing?
confident, you will see the goodness of the Lord. If you know Christ, you will be face to face with the Lord. And you will not be absent from his goodness. You will not live in a broken world anymore. You will be face to face with the God of the universe who will restore all things. But you have his goodness in your life now. If you know Christ, he loves you. His Holy Spirit lives in you. And you have a purpose. That's his goodness to you now. And you have a family here at New City.